Hello and welcome to Spotlight, uh, the show where we talk about the Star Trek movie franchise from film to film from a non-Trekkie perspective. Uh, I'm Liam Dempsey, I'm joined by my usual co-hosts. Paul Wilson. Yeah, and I would just actually uh, sort of change that comment. You said non-Trekkie perspective. Last time we were outed, I think, quite considerably in the Generations episode as potentially being Trekkies of a, of a certain variety, at least. Some of us. And we might have even convinced Matt. Our first well, I'm definitely first. not a Trekkie. So. <laughs> in, 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 in the sense of now you feel like we may be gradually becoming Trekkies through this podcast. I think we redefine what Trekkie means. I think it's somebody's really enjoying this series we go through. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing. I mean, that's something we'll have to discuss as we go on. What does Trekkie actually mean in the sense of do you have to be going to the conventions, dressing up as the Borg Queen? Um, <laughs> or can you just enjoy Can I not do that show? anyway? Uh, you could, you could. Yeah. Uh, we're also but joined that... by other co-hosts, Matt Brothers. Hello. And yes, wasn't that... This is kind of the point of the show, really, that to see how we change as we go. And as we've just crossed over the halfway point, really... If we are becoming more tricky as we go, that's good. Well, if I am, anyway. If you guys have yeah. been cheating, then what the hell? Well, I mean, in the sense of I feel we we'd seen more than you at the start, hadn't yeah. we? So we yeah. were more tricky than you, but not tricky enough for the real trekkies. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's the sweet spot in which we operate. Yeah. Yeah. With several guests who had watched the, every frame of Star Trek, and that's exactly we the real deal. We couldn't. Uh, our guest AJ from our fourth episode, which concentrated on the voyage home, had seen every single hour of Star Trek ever, and we just haven't got the time, guys. Uh, but we are joined today by a special guest who um, I believe has probably seen more Star Trek than any of us. It's Stephen Trumbull. Um, he's a storyboard artist, a stand-up comedian, and twin brother of previous guest, David Trumbull. Welcome to the podcast, Stephen. Yes, I am. That is my claim to fame. <laughs> yeah, that is it. Yeah. Genetics. We're going to this podcast. That is your claim to fame. Exactly, exactly. So, one thing we always... A ask... better storyboard artist than a philosopher. <laughs> uh, before this podcast... I was talking to Stephen about the podcast etiquette of not talking over people, and he's already done. <laughs> uh, I did. I did wait for six minutes while you guys were doing all that stuff. But Stephen, before we get into today's film, we're going to do what we do with every guest who comes on the show. Tell us your Star Trek credentials. What is your first experience with Star Trek? How did you get into it? How much of it have you been exposed to? Right, well, I always feel like Star Trek is passed down from fathers to sons or mothers to daughters. I've, I've seen all sorts, but it's always... I think, si I think science fiction is, is an inherited uh, love. You know, you never say, like, uh, uh, you know, my dad got me into rom-coms. You know what I mean? It's always like... But then my dad did say to me, like, okay, Barbarella's on, we're watching the first five minutes, and then you go into bed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Things like that. <laughs> That's an in-joke for anyone who's seen the first five minutes of Barbarella. Um, and it's funny, I was literally, the other week, um, transferring our home videos to, like, digital, to back them up. And in between, one of the uh, compilations of our home videos was the beginning of Barbarella. Yeah, yeah. And I had seen that in its isolation several times, you know, from a very young age, but yeah. not understanding what I was looking at. Yeah. This woman spinning round. I knew that much. But like, it's got it was... animated pink lettering. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I've got to say, what is the weird connection we all have with our dads and Barbarella? Because... <laughs> 
I think I it's, remember, it's quite easy to understand. Well, yeah, I remember being, I remember being young and finding recorded off the TV Barbarella. With, but it was me and my mum were looking for something that we taped on a video, and we found Barbarella taped on the TV, and neither of us had recorded it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I think as well, it's like Jeremy Beadle, like you know, was what is written on the tape. Like you know, just yeah. throw you the scent, like exactly, exactly, exactly. And like you know, afterwards I was like, "Are we going to watch the rest of it?" And Dad was like, "Nah, <laughs> it's actually quite boring." Oh. But this isn't Barbarella like. Yes, this is Spotlight. Yes, <laughs> to to to, fi- to finish the thought, um, uh, I've watched uh, all sorts of Trek with my father. I didn't watch a lot of the original series. I remember it used to be on in the middle of the day, and I would watch that. So I've seen the odd episode of the original series, but TNG we watched every day it was on, and then. D- Space Nine every day it was on and then Voyager every day it was on so I've probably seen give or take one or two uh, and I watched the first one and a half seasons of Enterprise which I know apparently gets a lot better but I never quite got over the crushing disappointment of the fact that it could have been Das Boot in space and it wasn't do you know what I mean like they were sold I remember seeing a documentary beforehand you where mean they... it could have been in another language no yeah. <laughs> yes Germans I need Germans <laughs> in space no it was like they, they'd sold it they saw a documentary before it came out and they were selling it as like the actual first time in space so I was like if, yeah. if, if every episode doesn't have a pipe bursting and someone dying <laughs> I don't want to watch this show and within space. half a season in <laughs> yeah, within oh, half a, this water yeah. coming from within half a season they're already hanging out as if it's all cool yeah. up in space and they're very calm and clean yeah. and it fine it was very clean and I think they, yeah. they, I mean, I've never seen that same behind the scenes where the guy yeah. shows him the phase it's like I've got two settings stun and kill yeah. like, it's like you know it was just yeah. reveling in the um, you know very first versions of everything you mm. could see like, mm. uh, exactly and uh, then and then the, the baton for that was mm. picked up very nobly by Battlestar Galactica yeah I mean, did it properly and this is the thing when I was watching about Star and they had the episode where they you see a, a little part of the fleet where people who are white collar workers on the coal mine and everybody takes their shift and it's absolute hellish conditions they thought this is something the Voyager could have done yeah. because you're there and they have to just make do with what they have and mm. it could get really dirty the ship used to fall apart a bit yeah. none of that happened and it was always hit the, the Simpsons reset after yeah exactly I think, I, think, I think the first the first film that I saw was Generations the um, first that's Trek. the first Star Trek film mm. that I saw and it was one of my very first uh, that I remember going at to the, the cinema. cinema yeah, yeah at the cinema uh, but uh, the film that we're about going to talk about today is the one that I remember the most vividly from the cinema okay. because I was 11 yeah. and the film is a 12 oh, oh. Yeah. And, my, and my dad saying to me no it's okay you're going to do it and I, and I was a kid I, I was a very well behaved kid so I didn't really get that rules were quite flexible and this yeah. was before 12 yeah. Well. yeah exactly yeah. it was before 12, 12 a, a and there's that scene early on 12. there's that scene early on where that kind of metal spider comes oh. out of his face and I was like I shouldn't have come here man I shouldn't be here but anyway. we're getting ahead of ourselves yes. because today we are <laughs> going to be talking about Star Trek First Contact um, the first proper Star Trek Next Generation film I would say in the sense of Generation still had leftovers of the original series yeah um, in it even if it did feel more like a TNG uh, it was about 70% movie. like wasn't it a TNG yes, movie yes was the first yeah. fully fledged one and I think you can see straight away that they are letting the giving the budget that, you know for this next generation really kind of like uh, move them into the movie world they're not reusing yes. sets redressing sets from the TV show it was a nice little uh, yeah. sort of bumper lane thing have a transitional movie and see how you go and say goodbye 
buying the old, in with the new. Exactly. So what we always do at this time is turn to Matt, who is the most novice in knowledge of Trek. Uh, never seen even an episode of Star Trek Next Generation. So coming from that perspective, Matt, what did you think of Star Trek First Contact? Well, without giving away my entire overall thoughts, like coming straight in, coming in hot, it felt very much the way Generations did, where this is a new crew that I'm not familiar with. Like, because with the original films, even if I hadn't seen the series, I kind of know the basis of who people are. A bit off more the, iconic, aren't yeah, they? iconic, and coming off the JJ recastings and stuff. Yeah. But but this with Generations, it was very much like, okay, who's who, what's going on, and this kind of had the same feeling for me. And it, like, I have no idea. The foot, the beginning of it, I kind of had no idea what was going on, and it felt again to me very much like. I've come into a TV series I do not watch like what, what's going on and I kept trying to picture it being like if I just walked into the cinema that day yeah. looking for a sci-fi movie and this started I'd have been like whoa, whoa what's going on but um, it's such well it's so well paced and it picks up really quickly and really establishes what's going on quite quickly that it um, I think doesn't dwell on that potentially yeah. you know we with the battle being so close to the beginning do you feel like that was a, you know a, a, an attempt for like people who just walked off the street to just dazzle you and kind of yeah and over like, like it very much felt like I was like, we meant to know who these bald people are, and obviously you are if you're coming in off the show. But I was like, okay. Jean-Luc Picard. Yeah. Who's this Picard guy? Yeah. And and like Worf is on a different ship and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, because he's in in Deep Space Nine. Right, see, yeah, it felt like I'd missed something. Mm. It was trying to find that balance of, oh, is this just throwing you into X amount down the timeline and you will pick up where people are? Or is it like, have I missed something? It was Mm. that weird Mm. kind of balance. Well, it's it's very like Khan in that it's uh, an expansion of one of the most popular episodes Mm. and like Khan like takes the story forward in a natural way in that the the last scene of the best of both worlds is Picard looking out the window obviously not fine and they never really follow it up they do a bit but never as much as this film does yeah we talked briefly last time about it being a three-parter actually best of both worlds and then the the follow-up is uh, an episode on Earth with his family Mm. and Mm. and it was I think they had somebody. It was very hard sell to the executives at Paramount at the time because huh. they there was not a sci-fi story that it was about family and like yeah. how he's dealing with the trauma and re, you know yeah. he obviously hasn't got great. On a vineyard, his brother's yeah. vineyard, right? Yeah. yeah. So I think I don't I have no recollection of what the B story is, but it had to be a sci-fi one just to get it through the. <laughs> so I think they had to go high concept up in space and then had this like very like um, you know because I think they wrestled and mudded by yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so they did also do another follow-up episode later on, which I've seen called I Borg, where. Mm. find a yes. wounded uh, Borg somewhere Cube. and then when they wake him up he, he can't he, he's not like a normal Borg he's like a child mm. pretty much mm. um, but Picard just hates him just because he's Borg yeah. Yeah. but he's an innocent and it's all about it, it kind of explores similar themes as mm. the film does yeah. but before we dive deep into First Contact properly I'd just like to read a little plot uh, for the uh, movie just to set us up um, so this is from the IMDb uh, just a very simple kind of logline the Borg travel back in time intended on preventing Earth's first contact with an alien species Captain Picard and his crew pursue them to ensure that Zephram Cochrane makes his maiden flight what a reaching Zephram Cochrane is, is that how you pronounce it? Zephram Cochrane yeah, James yeah. Cromwell <laughs> 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 like, so, starring uh, Patrick like you are but yeah that's the basics of the movie and as usual we're going to spoil the fuck out of it and we're going to be drinking 
Oh, it's, um, it's Oka Mastra number Oko 8? I think number 8. You're saying I can't pronounce yeah, it. Yeah, I'm saying. <laughs> I I, you caught me off guard here, Liam. Uh, well, Wizardry Tequila. Yeah, <laughs> check the pictures for the yeah. actual uh, thing. Yeah, yeah. It's very fine tequila. It's, it's a sipping tequila. Yes. It's, it's really, really nice. And I think people who have seen this film before will know why we're drinking tequila, but we oh, might yes. uh, just uh, touch mm. on that later on. Exactly. But it is a little bit of a reference to it. It's a primitive culture. Yeah. <laughs> so cheers, guys. Cheers. Yes. Looking forward to this. And uh, oh. yeah, as usual, we try and drink something associated mm. with the movie mm. um, or something. Yeah. <laughs> or just wine. <laughs> so, I just want to say before we get into the, the film that I watched this maybe two days ago, and at that mm. point, I did not know that there were episodes of the show that directly kind of <gasps> fit in. Ooh, interesting. So, I, I've, I've since found out that, you know, there's a sum basis coming in. So, what is this two parter and what does right. it set up the two parts well I think we need to go back to the beginning because there's the the, the ball introduced in the second series yes right. um, in Q-Hu Q-Hu is so it Q-Hu yeah right. so Q is the a marvellous kind of omnipresent being who uh, always taunts and, and like uh, annoys the Enterprise crew mm. for his own amusement because he's a godlike figure mm. he flings the Enterprise into an uncharted area of space like which would be take them maybe Five years to get there. So it's only because his, his, his thing to them is saying, You're not ready for what's out there. Yeah. And they come across a ball cube, which is very inquisitive. It comes towards them and scans them and it sends over an emissary. But like Picard can't resist the urge to try and be that kind of olive branch and, you know, um, you know follow Federic Protocol and find out more about them. But of course, they're dealing with something very, very dangerous. And as soon as the ball sort of sussed them out a bit, it's, it's, it's this, you know, race of automaton beings that are, are collected like a hive mind. They can regenerate their ship so whatever damage they inflict on it mm. can be regenerated mm. um, and eventually in the end of the episode uh, Picard has to ask Q to let them to save them because they're going to be destroyed and they were um, invented for this series for, for this no series, other series. Yeah. yeah yeah no they were very um, very new yeah. so at the end of that they're saying you know we get, we're get we now back in our space but the Borg are aware of us now yeah and they are coming that's so, such a good ending to that episode where they realise that they've by their own hubris they've caused yeah. This, the worst enemy yet to come yeah. towards them. But also, just like Picard realizes, you know, perhaps he needed this lesson from Hugh to kind of shake them out of their, like, um, mm. sort of, well, yeah, their, their kind of overconfidence that they could actually take on anything in the galaxy. Yeah. Um, and they need, they got basically. 12 episodes, 20 episodes to prepare for the, the invasion so because mm-hmm. the, the, uh, the next one is Best of Both Worlds Part 1 the, the yeah. series free cliffhanger yeah. um, and uh, where the, you know, the beginning is that they have um, there's, uh, the entire colony has been destroyed completely lifted out of, the, of existence and that means they're on their way and there's going to be a ball cube coming so this big big um, uh, for, for its time for, uh, both. for yeah. television mm. yeah. incredible special effects yeah. like a huge battle uh, and, and, uh, the, and the Borg ship itself is beautiful it's like yeah. Yeah. All the stuff that they used to create, like the Death Star mm. Trench, just wadged into <laughs> yeah. one cube, and um, you know it wipes out an entire fleet. Um, and but and kidnaps Picard, and Picard is is basically meant to be the kind of mouthpiece for the Borg to basically take over the human race. Mm. They're using him as kind of like a, well, at least mentioned in first contact, like a counterpart or mm. a kind of because um, I, I did get that he yeah. was like having PTSD basically mm. from his past experience. Yeah. Like you get that much from the movie. Yeah, they they they, 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 they right. say a line in the best of both worlds where it's because of our species 
is uh, is susceptible to tribalism, and therefore a a leader is needed mm-hmm. to, to to get us to kind of do things. So so it's almost like it's almost like they they created space Trump. You know what I mean? Like they needed somebody who could actually like terrify people into kind of succumbing to the Borg. Well, yeah. I would say that's the important stuff in terms of connection with this film. Not so much the overall thing of the Borg, because I would say that really. For them, it's just basically they're the Klingons of TNG. They're the big bads of this show. But it's the personal connection that Picard was assimilated or partially assimilated. And therefore, like you say, he is suffering a form of PTSD Mm. because of that. And I think if you don't have any idea that happened, I can see why the opening may be slightly jarring for you. Mm. But I think they do try and set that up. They do. With the uniform, you you put in the the show's uniform and then you see Achilles wearing something else so it is it does did it, do you get that as a flashback Possibly yeah and they, they do eventually have the moment when Picard tells um, Riker yeah is or is it, it or is it the woman from from Earth he basically later on he basically has an exhibition exhibition done but going that's quite <laughs> far into the film yeah yeah because yeah. yeah. it was just before that I was writing like oh you know I still don't know what happened but I can, I can kind of gleam and then he basically yeah. kind of lays it out I'm like oh okay so it's but there is that bit where Riker's like you're the best man to lead this fight and he's saying that yeah I guess a lot of the more subtle moments there yeah, there's little flashbacks, little nightmares. Obviously, I think like I mean, because how early on did you get the fact? Because when you saw those flashbacks and nightmares, were you just thinking this is he's fearful that this could happen if they were all assimilated? Right, that is a threat, or he's actually flashing back? Because mm. you could just think, oh, he's worried that this is mm. going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I was, well, I was well, like, yeah. you know, I, I didn't know for sure if they'd even come across these this because I because I, yeah, I, yeah. I thought because they look so great, I thought they could have very well been created for this movie you know exactly well, and, and also right. as, as a fan yeah, of that yeah. re- they're, they're basically in the show you'll, you'll be quite amused to see the Borg in the show oh, yeah. literally a guy yeah. in white face paint and <laughs> yeah. Stuff like yeah exactly um, exactly. And it, to the point where some of the flashbacks of him being locutors yeah you know, if you're a fan of the show, you're like, I don't remember it looking like that. So it's almost like the flashbacks yeah, don't actually they're, match they're, the show. They're really yeah. Oh, yeah. are they really? Because yeah. I was very much, very much. Because I wondered, is this just lifted straight no, out? Of the no, thing? No. Yeah, I, I think. I think they said one of the one of the main reasons they made the film was to do the Borg cinematically and right. Yeah, and know. Oscar nominated for makeup as well. Yeah, looks very nice. And it look, they look great, although there is like amusingly quite a few on Blu-ray. I noticed like it's some very nineties <laughs> touches uh, to some of the things. There's actually an LED kind of like watch face in somebody's. Oh, oh no, but that's a classic. Oh, oh you mean a yeah. watch face? Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, it's basically, you know how you got what, those the hands crisp- intact? No, it's just like, you know, the kind of the. If you had like a, a Seiko kind of like Mr. Watch, <laughs> and you know that thing around the edges that where it's kind of like, that goes. Oh, the bit that you can yeah, turn yeah. around. Yeah, that's what it looks like on my thing. And then you've got the, you know, the. Um, the fog showing up going, Ron, I'll time you. <laughs> the, the, the sort of um, the thing you put your hands over because whatever those are, the, the electric bills. Yeah. That's what behind their heads. Those are quite like 90s touches that you. You can walk into like some shop in Boscombe potentially and pick up like <laughs> <laughs> all it needed was like a you know a klaxon on, on their head to just really hammer out <laughs> one thing you can say about the collective they're thrifty yeah, <laughs> so for me this is totally the Wrath of Khan of the TNG movies mm. in the sense of it's a sequel to a TV episode returning villains the second um, movie of the crew second movie of Vendetta. the crew um, yeah, like sort of revenge element, but this time around the other way, Picard wanting revenge on the Borg, um, being far more action based, far more violent. Mm. Uh, you know, there is lots of links back to um, that film 
very much so. Mm. Uh, and again, interesting, like you say, Matt, them choosing a kind of sequel to a TV episode, it intrinsically links it mm. in uh, with that. But I kind of have a feeling that you, you I mean, you never sort of space seed uh, the original episode with Khan no. from the original series, but I think you found it much easier to kind of slide mm. into Wrath of Khan. Yeah, it's kind of like it throws in the deep end, which I appreciate. And compared to Generations, where the first time you see the crew, they're all in like a pirate ship. It's just a lot better at reintroducing the crew on their new flagship Enterprise. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, straight away from the first couple of scenes, this marks it out as being different from anything you've ever seen in Star Trek. Mm. The bit of body horror mm. of the face bursting. I mean, yeah. this film is like David Cronenberg directing an Aliens movie. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah, actually bursting <laughs> out of his face. So there's then, some quite unpleasant assimilation sequences later on with, like, yeah, hands coming so, off. Yeah, well, the, yeah, the, the yeah. general... Drills going into people's eyes. The general, stuff. like, reveal of the Borg is really well done because they talk about him Friday see him and then there's that guy getting taken in the air shafts it's very alien mm, and then, yeah. mm, the, yeah, then they is. finally come around that corridor I heard that they even, they even offered it uh, to Ridley Scott to direct ah, yeah. uh, I think it was Ridley Scott and John McTiernan who were the people they, they, they tried before oh, I believe so and to be honest there's a lot of influences of McTiernan I think there is but I don't stuff. think they needed them oh, oh yeah I did oh, write down oh. it's uh, like Die Hard in a Spaceship for mm. a lot of it because they're kind of trapped on your own ship yeah. and yeah. I liked how most of the action took place on the Enterprise itself mm. like not in space not it, on other planets instead it was directed by Jonathan Two, Two Takes Breaks. Takes breaks. Um, <laughs> is, is that a real thing in the sense of yeah. is he do it Clint Eastwood style yeah. director? Yeah. So he, he means he's twice as good as Clint Eastwood. <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean, Frakes apparently was chosen because he... Everybody else turned him down. Well, yeah, exactly, because he understood mm. the series, not yeah. just because he was cheap. And he, uh, and he, and he directed a few of the episodes. Yeah, the he was a very yeah. prolific director of the show. And, yeah. you know, I think based on this, at least... For a debut, it's yeah. a very good job. Yeah, it's definitely his best film. He's, he's yeah, he, oh, yeah. he, You know, he's never bettered this, but, like, it's it's really good. Really well directed, really, really cinematic. Yeah. It doesn't look like, like a TV. Episode. Like you're saying, you're, other than the flashback, you don't see the Borg. You hear them speak to you. Yeah, I love that over the thing, and you, it kind of builds the dread, and you can hear them destroying the fleet. Mm. I think what you yeah. don't see before it builds the, the oh, how yeah. much of it. That was really well. Yeah. Yeah. Slightly yeah. Dutch angles, and yeah, there's a lot of that. I mean, I think it's the best opening of any Star Trek film. Yeah. I mean, I think that opening 15 minutes. Not only do you have the impactful kind of body horror of like the opening, the flashback, immediately like opening flashback mm. shot mm. Uh, where it pulls out, it's yeah. really big and huge. But then that space battle is just insane. Yeah, and it's like everything we ever wanted to do on the TV exactly. show that we couldn't. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, right down to like seeing the Defiant, uh, Worf's little ship from Deep Space Nine, just yeah. kicking ass. It feels like the finale of the film. Yeah, yeah. Like the opening. I do and, like that things are pretty dire, but it's like prepare for ramming space. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, that's. So great, and he's got Adam Scott from Parks and Rec as his yeah, like pilot, yeah, doing, yeah, doing, yeah, doing yeah. really good flustered acting. It's the Enterprise. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's a beautiful shot when the Enterprise comes in between the Defiant and mm. the Cube. That with the music there, which has a bit of the quote with the, the Star Trek theme. Uh, mm. It just is really exciting, like to have the Enterprise come save the day straight mm. away. Good uh, sense yeah. of the uh, scale as well, right? Because it's so yeah. much bigger yeah. than the other ship, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 From from re- rewatching that scene is a lot shorter than I remember it so I think that is a testament to the scene that in yeah. cinema I remember so it as being this amazing. huge event yeah. and it's over in about but, but 30 seconds it just seconds. feels huge but yeah. it's just really really fast mm. and again another um, kind of Roth of Khan parallel 
is the changing of the costumes. Mm. Uh, Rafa Khan, we get the more navy infused red uh, kind of um, military uniforms, and here we've gone from the quite kind of garish and loud uh, TNG jumpsuits to these dark grey kind of far more they, they kind of, again far more military mm. so um, it's, it's, done, it's done it in reverse where motion picture went from grey drab to bit colour of red yes, and now it's yeah, gone the yeah, other yeah. way yeah. and mm. also this feels I mean it's funny it's got a script by Ronald D. Moore who went on yeah. to do mm. Battlestar Galactica and to me this feels like proto Battlestar Galactica yeah. Yeah. very much so it feels like that show mm. he, direct, um, he, he wrote a lot of the he wrote one of the last Borg episodes um, yes. uh, of the series Ronald oh I know he did a lot of writing yeah. for the he, show yeah, yeah. So, so he not only is a, is a, a, a Star Trek alumni but a Borg alumni and then went on to be like the amazing showrunner of Battlestar. Mm. Yeah, and I, I definitely think this is the this film is the one where you can see a direct link to that show later, rather than TNG to that. Mm. Uh, and also, it's funny that Paul was talking last time about where generations you kind of got Star Trek at its zenith. Um, in popularity yeah. but now even more so because by the time this came out Voyager was actually on mm. DS9 was on mm. and um, you got the generation in the cinema uh, Worf had already transferred to DS9 he was mm-hmm. in that show hence him turning up um, in another ship and Voyager was already going we actually get a Voyager yes. character appearing in this for a cameo the image. Uh, which I thought was a bit Odd, and I didn't quite because yeah. his Voyager set at the same time. It's, no, no, no. We're, we're gonna no, no. Okay, let me explain because this is this is all for the fans. Okay, yeah, okay. Uh, the first thing that uh, Doctor Crusher says before she activates him is, "I swore I'd never use one of these." Yes. The Doctor in Voyager is an emergency medical hologram. He wasn't meant to be the Doctor. He's only the Doctor because the Doctor is killed in the first episode. He's meant to be used for short bursts, and he has he ends up being on the whole time. So every time sh- so so Voyager the so the idea it. is that Voyager was sent off into space it's cutting edge so it was probably built at the same time as the Enterprise E right, so yes. all Enterprise or all Federation, Federation ships that were released at this point had this um, so it's their version had, of yeah, that yeah, had, so, so he's not the same Doctor he's just the same program and there's an oh, episode yeah. of Voyager later on where the Doctor gets contact with the Alpha Quadrant and uh, is informed that that uh, design became very quickly defunct and is actually cleaning like uh, bulkheads somewhere <laughs> and so 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 it's actually they have a reputation for being quite shit Right, so uh, you know, okay. so the whole idea. In fact, even she, like Crusher, is actually uncharacteristically a bit moody with him. She's like, "Do a dance, sing a song." Like, she's from New York for some Sunday. Like, <laughs> she's just like, like, "I don't have time for this bald holographic. Just do a dance, do something." Like just like a lot yeah. of uh, a hollow racism going on. <laughs> yeah, hollow. I, I guess it's like, do, do the doors not open for Borgs? Like, well, you know, because usually you just have to walk towards the door in the open. But yeah. they're having trouble with the medical door. Red alert! Red alert! Is so on. it's all locked down, is it? Yeah. Like, they're yeah. on the war footing. Yeah. In fact, that, that's what I wrote in my notes. Is the whole film is kind of war footing from yeah. like the, from like about two minutes in. Yeah. The first scene yeah, is Picard waking up and going, "The Borg are coming," so they're on red alert for like the whole yeah, film. That's what I love the fact that you feel, and I suppose Matt is completely right in the sense of this really is the most connected to any of the TV shows yet of the films because actually 
this is basically the finale that they couldn't give the TV show because the Borg were the big villains for TNG and at, at the beginning of the film he goes right it, it's happening the mm. thing we always knew was coming the Borg are invading mm. and now we've got, and you kind of feel like well, weren't you building up this the entire show mm. Mm. it's mm. like oh we can afford to do that so we're going to do it here it's yeah. pretty cool yeah. it feels like the uh, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe of its day where it, yeah. it's a shared universe but with its TV <laughs> components for lots of little Easter eggs like, it's like, but it's, we, it's not we, we've people. had seven years of a very popular TV TV show creating this big science fiction and for our first film the villain is Malcolm McDowell it cost us billions to put this on screen yeah, but it's great to see just the um, I mean with the uh, Borg like I mean people might have felt justifiably let down that they weren't the villain out of the gate yeah. uh, and mm. I think William Shatner was very upset because he wrote a sequel to Generations uh, in book form wow I think it's called Star Trek The Return where the Borg re, uh, reconstitute Kirk and um, so it, and this is a real book this is a real Published. book yeah, yeah. Nice. it's like it's set right after Generations so it's essentially a prequel to this which brings back Kirk for the dead with of course. all kind of pros <laughs> and he's just like you know why did I not get the ball <laughs> I, I, I want to kick their ass <laughs> Kirk is back from the dead as a board brought him straight back yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's actually one of a series it's like, I've had enough of these like Kirk kicking the Borg's ass across the well, Sha- what Shad has written an entire I series think, of I think he, he goes around hearing I you will be ass immolated well if you mean by written I mean by putting his name on the cover I'm pretty sure that and Tech War are both ghost written do you think uh, so they are they are I not, looked it up okay. I, also I looked up the um, the Tech Ward movie the other day and uh, on YouTube just watched the trailer it's hilarious uh, <laughs> um, so it's a bit about the big guy I'm genuinely interested in and I always thought this yeah, was Shatner's like, OG no, it's just like get yeah, sci-fi writers you know when it sells more copies I think so <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, love the new costumes. I think they're badass yeah. as hell. I yeah. way prefer them to yeah. the old It does. It brings it cinematic. Really cool. you did, they were really Classy, tired yeah. by the time they got them into the yeah. generations. Mm. Like, apparently, they were like, having to sew them up like, on the <laughs> set. Like, because they were the last... I didn't mention this last time, I think, but they actually had new costumes designed for generations, and they just didn't have the money to make them. But even the, but the action figures were made with the new uniform, which you didn't get to see. Uh, also, also, no, you, in generations. Oh, yeah. Well, so they well, had a different kind of uniform. Yeah, it was going to be like a coloured version, but they had a different kind of like setup to it. But they couldn't afford it, so they had to repurpose and borrow costumes from mm. Deep Space Nine to mm. to oh, populate yeah, the whole thing. But this one, we've got ten more million in the budget, so it's yeah. forty five. Well, also, yeah. also, it comes off in layers over the film, and by the end, Picard is. McLeaned up with yes. best yes. Yeah. looking awesome, jacked, yeah, yeah. Jacked. Exactly. I mean, sexiest man alive, always Tarzan. looking incredibly good for his age. I think, yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, exactly. I mean, he still looks the same. Now. Yeah, he, <laughs> he was voted sexiest man alive by. Su- I do not have a source for this, but I know <laughs> that it happened. I don't know what women <laughs> it could have been the TV <laughs> guide in America, but he definitely was voted. But the new costumes totally fit in with the whole tone of the film for me. It feels far more mature, darker cinematic vision hmm. um, you know this this feels unlike anything that we got in the next generation show this really does feel like this could have only been done on the big screen and not hmm. just because of the effects 
it just feels like a far deeper story yeah. in terms of small adults. It's almost like the Dark Knight. Like you, you yeah. want to be able to turn your head. You know what I mean? Like it's like it's like they finally have the chance to do everything they want to do and just enjoy themselves yeah. and like up the budget a bit. Up, they have more faith from the audience to kind of do what they want. It's got to you know, and so they can redesign yeah. everything. It's, the whole the whole new Enterprise is awesome. I love the Enterprise E. Yeah. I, I think this is also overall my favorite performance from Patrick Stewart yes. in the role of Patrick. Yeah. Uh, uh, Johnny in the role of a patch of shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a role of a lifetime. <laughs> his, a real sense of his nobility, as you know, and his and his belief in the future and the, and the things they stand for. Because he mm. does tell Lily. Uh, Lily about you know what the, the future is like, you no know, money, and he says, "Oh, we're a bit like you and Doctor Cochrane." You know, we're very, of course, she's like, "Yeah, we're right, we're, we're like that." Um, but then you also see his frailties, and it, and but also he becomes to terms with them and realizes he's wrong and makes himself a better person. So mm. staying true to like what his character believes in you know because he does notice himself when Lily kind of points it out you know you're seeking revenge and he there is that great moment he says she says you know uh, I saw that look in your eye when you killed those uh, Borg on the holodeck and his reaction is how dare you like he's horrified by the implication that he's not this enlightened guy and it actually is a genuine surprise to him which I think is awesome yeah yeah it, yeah. was, it was my, oh, great scene. Oh god, you know we will talk about that. Yeah. that that's that's no, that's definitely. the that's the uh, that is the right main back. event. Yeah. So going right back to the beginning, obviously you've got no hit. Jerry Goldsmith with an exclamation mark. He's he's back, yeah, baby. He's great. And the opening theme is one of those beautiful ever composed for the oh. series. I did know that the opening credits look incredibly cheap I was like this looks very TV the way it just kind of fades on fades off and stuff does, so I it's good it, to have Goldsmith back but that was like I, didn't, you know, I never thought they looked cheap mm, I, I never thought they looked very straight quite long yes. because, but I think it's just because they, they basically got this piece of music as a we just need to stretch out the credits <laughs> and fit it in and this is with Goldsmith's son assisting as yeah well? I think because it was written very uh, with hardly any notice at all right uh, he called in his son who composed some of the action cues yeah and they're really good I think I yeah. think it's got a really good action I, the, the, I mean I didn't know that until a lot later on you don't feel like there's a work of two people they very mm-hmm. much like you know complement each other mm-hmm. uh, as a team because I mean the, how do we feel about this in the sense of I mean this is an action movie yeah. like in the sense of when I watched it I felt like because Roderbury was dead by this point mm. and I thought surely turning his grave in says <laughs> he feels so kind of against his vision in a lot of ways of just being incredibly action and violent and just everyone blowing each other away and stuff. well they're, they're, they're defending his vision they are but yeah, yeah they're yeah. like first contact yeah, like, like yeah, you, yeah. you could argue this film is a film with two stories mm. you, these are two films jammed yes, together yes, you could wrong, do a time yeah. travel story about getting you know first contact and you could do an attack by the Borg and they actually don't mm. really mix at yeah all. They, that's the thing they don't really do Cause, cause R- Riker's, s- Riker's out of radio contact with the with the the, the ship the whole time and he's like I bet they're fine like, <laughs> <laughs> they do feel like two disconnected stories apart from the thing where they get the vision of the future and they're like oh population this many all Borg and they're like oh shit they've gone back and we've got to change the future it feels distinctly split into the really dark violent action stuff happening on ship and this far lighter story back on earth um, with Riker and some of the other crew Mm. trying to get first contact Mm. to happen almost in the sense of it feels like Riker maybe uh, Jonathan Frakes maybe put Riker on earth Mm. to make sure he could concentrate on directing I think Mm. because he's got a small 
there was some plot back there. The, the original idea they had was Riker was up in the ship and, and Picard was down on the planet, uh, which would have been awful because it would have meant that Picard would never have to exercise those demons. Yeah, and yeah. it would have been far more, as we were discussing last month, we actually discussed how Riker is far more the Kirk mm. of Next Generation. Yeah, and it says it so you imagine him being the action man on a mm. uh, ship, whereas actually this is Picard's opportunity to kind of do but that. But that's stuff. why it works, it's yes. the against the grain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, you know, yeah, I love that. And also, I think I think Frakes comes off as quite a generous actor. Yeah, yeah. I, agree. I think um, you know this Rodney's vision that, like, of this shipping feature is great. I think it's such a struggle genius to show it coming from mm. like it's the origin of the it. origin of that, like from people who are quite flawed. And look, and it's so funny to see the next gen crew with like you know they're it's cheesy in a way when they mm. kind of come against mm. people who are a bit you know more gruff and mm. gritty. I mean, mm. you know, whenever they do those episodes where they kind of like relax, when the crew relax, it's really <laughs> yeah. cheesy and, and really yeah. toe curling at times. To see them kind of react with this reverence <laughs> towards somebody who's swearing and drinking. <laughs> It's just like it's really funny. Typical um, it's, it's, always, it's always Picard yeah. in pajamas playing the flute when yeah. he's on his downtime. Yeah, they yeah. Do feel quite, <laughs> the, the, the TNG crew do feel quite square compared yeah. to like it's Prom- the Niners. Niners. Yeah, that's it when yeah, you're saying about they are, and Leak and stuff. No. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I get it. Exactly. Because it's the night. It's the mid '90s, so the the psychiatrist is on the bridge, and every time there's a problem, they ha- they hold a conference. Yeah. Well, she's busy getting pissed. That is such a great. That's, found, that's the price of admission for me is yeah. like I found it all really fascinating the whole um, getting to see the origins of the entire series in a way of like this is how it all began and it is that strange tonal shift isn't there where it's being quite comedic like there's barely any kind of conflict going on they just have to fix the ship so making James Cromwell mm-hmm. a bit of a git and having his like his change of heart so quickly just like I'm not doing this then I'm doing this and they kind of run that joke into the ground of basically what you do in the future it's like you have this statue and like here's a quote you said that it's like oh my god they're just rinsing this but here's a good here's a good counterpoint to all the high octane stuff happening I think it's mean if you introduce another element there that's going to get in the way of it it would detract from what's going up in orbit because yeah I think there could be too many things thrown in the mix if that was did it but you're right it does it's weaker for that and I do really like finding out Mm -hmm. that the kind of first contact and the start of everything comes from the ashes of like this third mm. world war essentially so it's like Trump really going, yeah, really going from war is bad 60 million dead and then the contact they have is such a peaceful thing and I love the reveal that it's Vulcans that comes right at the end that was really good so the very first contact is human and Vulcan I thought yeah that is yeah. really nice and um, what was I about to say yeah when is the first contact bit when is that set it's 2064 it is April 5th 2063 63 over 2063 okay uh, well we live to see it I would hope yeah yeah, yeah. I, 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 also, yeah. also I like how it's like it's like a month and a day after Star Wars Day oh okay <laughs> see because it's weird oh no no a month and a day before May May the 4th I was seeing April loads 5th, of May Star Trek profiles like post that first contact was yesterday today is February 25th when we're recording well, it's like episode. Facebook is always trying to tell oh, me that yeah, Martin yeah, fly. Yeah, it's like fuck yeah, off mate yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. you say the fly like this is it was back to the future like, yeah. that was so many times people just like yeah. photoshopped just the for a quick yeah. the day went to the future no it's not <laughs> <laughs> but no actually oh, that's an interesting point which is it's really refreshing to have a time travel plot which doesn't go back to our time yeah. it goes to a time that we've never seen yeah. to tell us something 
something new yeah. and insightful. Mm. Goes back yeah, to they don't past. do Voyage Home again. Yeah. They yeah. do a different kind of thing because he's still our future. Yeah, yeah it's our future. And we, we, we've never met... I mean, Zephram Cochran was a character in one of the early episodes of the, yes. of the original series. Very yeah. different. Morphosis. Yeah, yeah, but it's very different. He's supposedly from Alpha Centauri, which is weird because he wouldn't have created... But he's, but he's meant to be... He was, they just pegged him as a pioneer. He's a completely different kind completely of character. Different character uh, yeah. Which they said they didn't really care about. But it is interesting, again, that that's another link back to the original series, kind of thing, going like this. And not only is it a sequel to the Borg stuff, but it's a sequel to that, essentially. We, you got here Neil McDonough as well, just, just one, of, oh, yes. one of the brief uh, bridge crew, um, who's basically Hawk. the red shirt for this film, Hawk, um, who was actually, well, there's rumours it was meant to be the first openly gay character in Star Trek. Um, and, you know, we'd expect it to be in the novel or something, but apparently it's been refuted that it was intended that way. Um, it was apparently all links back to an arc of the Daily Mail, which said that, oh, gay character in the new Star Trek film is played by actor Neil McDonough, who frequents gay clubs. Of course, it's been Daily Mail. Because it's just like, it's gone mad. I just think, like, if they, how would they have broached in this film? Basically, just sort of like, hi, Captain. Like, I just think, can't see any point in that film where it would be, how can you have an openly gay character just going to be a red shirt and gets killed? Mm. Um, the, red, the, red, the red shirt does not discriminate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you were saying earlier, Matt, high octane yeah. uh, for the stuff that's going on the ship. You were exactly right. We get a fucking tool up yeah. in a Star Trek movie <laughs> with massive guns being handled. I mean, Worf must be so happy in this yeah. film. This yeah. is yeah. finally. <laughs> and he's mostly hand to hand with his little Batleth and shit. Like, yeah. I mean, oh. this is a great movie for yeah. Worf because in between this and the last film, Worf has joined uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. He's become a regular on that and obviously. Obviously, he's now a higher ranking. Mm. Um, you know, he can command his own ship, seemingly. Um, and, you know, so now him and Picard are on a kind of different level of like they haven't got the same relationship that they it's did like uh, Kirk and Sulu yeah he's, he's the Sulu yeah and they're kind of brought into conflict a bit in this movie which is really interesting especially his he's always been the one the Klingon who's anxious to go to war and now he's kind of the one holding Picard mm. back yeah. almost which shows you how far Picard has gone yeah oh it's such a good scene where they growl at each other on the bridge oh yeah, yeah it's fantastic yeah. if you were any other man I would kill you where you stand and then Picard's like get off my bridge it's so intense and it's, it's so, so great, great to yeah. see these kind of interactions but, happening yeah. but, but then yeah. you know when, but when he makes it up to him and just says you know you're the, actually the bravest man I ever known it's so uh, oh, it's actually, it, is, it is beautiful yeah. but I was like well that is a complete 180 from what you just said you just yeah. called him a coward five minutes yeah, ago exactly. and it's like, actually forget you call him a coward you are the bravest man <laughs> but, no, but that's what I love about this film is they, they obviously it's harder it would be interesting to see what Matt thinks about this because he knows the characters less but like there are lovely little character moments just sewn into everything like uh, the fact that during that scene uh, Dr. Crusher says Jean-Luc and she's the only person who could call him John Luke. Mm. She has a prior relationship with him. Yeah. And like when he's listening to the Borg in his head when they first show up in the battle, Deanna gets up and goes, "What is it?" Because she's she's telepathic and she's mm. always reading him. Yeah. So it's like little moments like that are mm. always there. Do you do you ever notice any bits in this where Beverly Crusher like looks at Lily disdainfully, like or just sort of? Like, oh. It's interesting because yeah, look, she she and Picard totally make out in the last episode of the series, and then it's yeah. never followed up. Oh, what Crusher and oh Picard. yeah, Beverly yeah. and. Oh, 
seen the finale of TNG but many years ago. Yeah. Did they make the, out on that? The implication is, because the, the, the last episode is called All Good Things, and it's set mostly in the future, where he and Beverly were supposed yeah, to be married. Set, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and so none of it really happens So anyway. you see them kiss, and it's implied that they would eventually get together, but then in the films, they completely ignore yeah, it. In the same that. way that I um, think it basically uh, Troy got together with Worf, and then they completely forgot about that as well, because he went on and did Deep Space Nine. So. But there's references to that in Insurrections. Yes, yes, yeah, exactly. I think yeah. they wanted to free up Patrick Stewart for an on-screen romance. Yes. Like, and, uh, but yes. never they're fully committed to either this and, you know, in mm. this film particularly. No, and neither mm. really in any of them. They all kind of seem to be holding Bacard back from really mm. getting off of anything. It's worth, worth saying how good Alfred Woodard is in this film. She's brilliant. She's fucking yeah. great. And also, how great is it that they've got, like, with her and Cromwell, these are real film actors, like proper... Well, she is, ...venerable stars. Still acting yeah. as the villain in Luke Cage. Yes. Yeah, very good in that. And uh, so it was interesting to see her in this uh, years before, and she is really good in the mm. film. I think the casting of the Borg Queen as well with Alice Creech, like, yes. I didn't think her accent, I wasn't sure where to place it, but it turns out she's South African. Oh, and, no. Uh, but it just, but yeah, she, her intonation is so different. Like it, it, you know, she adds something in her character just the way she speaks um, to data and that kind of thing. I just, she is quite fantastic. She was favorite. great. She was in, really kind of seductive and mm-hmm. given it all that. Well, this is what I was talking this about when I said this is quite Cronenberg because not only you've got the body horror, but you've got the weirdy alien robot sex between her <laughs> and data. See, this is interesting. This is the controversial part because this is where this is my one niggle with the film. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, you don't like that stuff? I don't really like that stuff. But that's really I think, cool I, and interesting. I, I think she's a great character. I think I, I think she, she, the performance is great. I don't have a problem with the performance. It's that my knowledge of the Borg from the show has nothing to do with sex. Yeah. It's like it's like it feels and and, and let me try and explain this because I and it's, it, 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 I've been thinking about this a lot. It's that it's it's the one thing that feels like a studio note, mm-hmm. like. And then, and the the villain's a bit of a seductress, and she seduces one of them, and you're like, they're, they're, they're the Borg. They don't. I, mean, I can understand them having a Borg queen, and I can understand her being a great villain, and she is a great villain. It's just that that whole sexual element always seems a bit like not part of their character in the TV mean, show. That they're always like, right? You have to do overthink a few of these plot points. I feel it mm-hmm. might be that she um, is part of a plan. I mean, yeah. she has a humanized data. She switches her emotion chip on. Mm-hmm. She's like, how am I going to turn him over to my yeah. side? Mm-hmm. She's obviously, yeah. 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 And she's trying to trying to punish Picard. It's an act, yeah, and, yeah. you know. And I think you know uh, when she actually you know they destroy the deflector dish and mm. she's I'm changing plan data. She could have easily followed yeah, your yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but the the thing that's interesting about the Borg Queen is that she then returns in Star Trek Voyager for yes, a couple of episodes. Does, yeah. Firstly, she's played by a different actress. She's played ah. by Susanna Thompson for a, for a, for a couple of episodes, and then. Alice Creech comes back for the final uh, yes. Voyager two-parter, and I, I think it's it's interesting that her character is much better utilised in that show because she doesn't interact with any male characters. It's all about Seven of Nine and um, Janeway, and it's like a kind of a war between two mother figures over the soul of a child. Of, of a okay. daughter and that I think is a much more interesting utilisation of that character than just like mm. oh it's the Borg but like they've got a sexy queen that and she does uses sound people. interesting but I've got to say I do think your comment about um, studio mandate is unfair because I think it's what I think the relationship that they have and what's depicted on screen is way too weird and right yeah no it's never not creepy yeah. I don't think like like I say it's, it's probably, it feels far more Cronenbergian for me in terms of that really weirdy like I remember seeing it cinema going wow this is really kind of yeah, something else like yeah. uh, you know and especially 
for for it to be Data as well, who's mm. a character we've grown to love, and he's kind of being corrupted. Yeah. And you know, I think that's really interesting. It is. I mean, I I, I think that I I'm I'm. It could be me, not it. Is that I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a sci-fi purist in that I often find myself in conflict with sci-fi shows and films that I love because I actually am quite anti-judging of, of right. sci-fi. So like the the first time the Borg ever show up, you know, they, they don't even speak. I don't think, and they're just this mindless. Faceless, yeah, nothing, and they just show up and kill and 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 can't be damaged, and they keep coming. And like, I don't think they've ever been as scary as they were in that episode mm. because they didn't have a character and they didn't, they yeah. weren't Shakespearean. And that's the problem they had when they wrote Best of Both Worlds, because they felt like, oh, how are we going to write this? Because it's not dramatic, not having a figurehead. Yeah. Mm. And they made Picard the mm. figurehead for that episode, mm. and I think mm. around the film, but, the same. But it's, it's, it's like the Lord, yeah, it's like the Lord of the Rings with Sauron. They're like, you know, our enemy is a big flaming eyeball, and they kept trying to come up with ways to do it. And at the end of the day, it's like, no, no it's good that it's just a big scary eyeball. I, I feel that they got <laughs> a lot of that kind of terror to begin with. That kind of set piece mm. in the corridor. Yeah. It's very, it's very like zombie horde because it's mm. essentially mm. you can't really take them down they can turn you into one of them actually you would have like four mm. shots before they mm. yeah. adapt like that's kind of that's yeah that's true you know, they're yeah. constantly falling back yeah um, yeah oh, i yeah. think it's no. really nightmarish that yeah. that sequence and when data gets grabbed and pulled up yeah thing is it like i say it's like an it feels like aliens mm. or so like really horrific really right after he snapped a but neck yeah, <laughs> he, 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 the card is saying yeah. it, it, when they tool up it's so dumb when he's just saying like i'll oh, kill anyone who becomes a Borg too fucking bad for them <laughs> that's so funny like that. yeah, he then, shoots that guy doesn't he he's killing but like, that's oh, weird yeah. though because it's like um, you know if you see somebody who's getting assimilated by the Borg kill them I know I used to be one it's like what do you mean you used, if you used to be one then surely they can be <laughs> saved <laughs> yeah. what are you talking no. about <laughs> no time no time yeah. by the way that doesn't apply to me it doesn't apply to me in the, the, in the time that I was assimilated oh, yeah. and it was actually rather an easy procedure to get well, the implants taken out it was I only, think you're right healed in two days it was fine. <laughs> that, that, sh- that shows how much his hatred of the yes. Borg has gone. So he's like, yeah, forget that. Like, yeah, you know, totally. Because Borg, it's, it's like uh, Kirk and Klingon again, isn't it? Kill them all, yeah. let them die. Yeah, yes. 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 yeah, exactly. I think what we talk about like Brent Spiner's before is his data, like where you know his. I mean, we have issues with the sex scene, but no. Let me just clarify that quickly. Uh, what I will say is that I I love the fucking film. I absolutely adore the film. It's my favorite Star Trek film, and I have no, I actually really like the character and I really like the performance and I really like everything about the film it's just my prior knowledge of the shows that gives me yeah. pause about it so it's like it's not like it's badly done I just think that it doesn't fit with my yeah, idea of the ring ball yeah. Yeah. yeah but I'm happy for it to exist especially considering that they then picked it up in later episodes and, and yes. kind of continued it in a way that was a bit, a bit I, I, I just both want to mention that you know I, I love Data's uh, in this in terms of like you know yeah. the, when he gets the skin and, his, and the experience and the emotions and actually feeling touched for the first time and you get to see him being wrestling with these uh, Emotions, but you also get to see him sass the queen quite a bit. <laughs> because there's a line where he goes, The delivery of line is like, you know, believing oneself to be perfect is often the sign of delusional mind. <laughs> Cocks his head to the side. Yeah, he does, he does. He look, because he's actually feeling emotional at that point, he's actually just saying, like, Come on, you're talking loads of bullshit here. <laughs> he does that little thing, it's like, You're gone. Mm. It's just to obtain the conclusion uh, codes in my neural net. And you won't win. Uh, it's just like that's him actually getting some mm. like uh, steel in his character, which is nice. And what's and his mm. one liner before he whacks open the tub of gas? Does Re- he resistance say? is futile? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Futile. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Futile. <laughs> yeah. It's like, everyone gets to be so badass in this film. Yeah. Like, Picard gets to be obviously. Wolf yeah. gets his assimilation. Yeah. Oh! Yeah. 
Which <laughs> makes no sense. They can't hear it. It's so great. It wasn't for them, Matt. Even He's like, I need to say this. He's battering Borg like before, like because as first he starts shooting and then he's like, fuck it. It's like it's like it's like and Worf. Smash. You know? Yeah. <laughs> next man here, as you say. And then even when he's captured by them all, there's a bit where he almost escapes and starts battering everyone yeah, again. Yeah, like, yeah, and Picard's getting so a freaking cool. Tommy gun and yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. What, shaking dicks? <laughs> just, oh, uh, actually, I love that, love that bit where that early scene where Data turns off his emotion chip just before they go into battle. Yeah. And Picard turn goes, Data there, are, Data, there are times I that I envy you. Yeah, That's that such a great. badass line. That's yeah. such a great line. Another thing I might say about this film is that one of the reasons, or when I was... Uh, uh, writing notes about this I th- uh, the thing I kept coming back to was that I think one of the reasons I think this film is so good that maybe isn't in the IMDB or whatever I think could be that it takes place in the Goldilocks zone of 90s script polish and, and mm. uh, punch up yeah, in that the film is full of zingers. It's a really yeah. well written script, yeah, it and is, it's yeah. full of memorable lines. And I think it's due to that kind of it's, it's the mid nineties. You got high production value. It's the age of the script doctor, <laughs> and I think that it's just there's just a little extra polish on this film than even Insurrection or, or Generations. Yeah, I think I wanted to mention the mid nineties. There's great embracing of like the campiness aspect, like the, the yeah. one line is just having a little mm. bit of a throwaway wry joke. Yeah, like in, in terms of Tomorrow Dies yeah. and Independence Day. Both of which have elements which you'd never see today. Yeah, like we kind of laughed off earnestness it? Well, well, well. of like some of the li- the line deliveries in those films. Just like you know, it just it, it could be so yeah. cheesy, but now it's but in that time it was very well. Just j- j- just just things like uh, the fact that Zephyr Cochran can say shit. And things like that, and uh, 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 when he takes the phaser off Lily, and he goes, "You would have vaporized me," and she goes, "It's my first ray gun." Yeah. You know what I mean? Just lovely little lines like that. It's very nicely mm-hmm. written. You could argue that most of that's uh, more mm-hmm. being great, but I, I think that there's also yeah. Because you were saying about this script odds thing, what do you think? That's not such a thing anymore. No, I, I think I think the '90s was. I think it's definitely it still is a thing. But yeah, I think in the I think '90s it was is. it was noticeably. Like a, a good time for that. Like if you think about The Rock and Enemy of the State, where practically every line was written by Aaron Sorkin, and that's yeah. why that's why it's so and snappy. also Dick Clement and the Lafreniere. Yes, exactly, exactly. And, uh, and, 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 and yeah, the, the, the best scene. Also, ninety six. Yeah, and the, the, in fact, I believe one of those right. I can't remember who it is. I can't remember the name of the writer. I feel bad, but um, the scene in. Uh, uh, um, Crimson Tide, where they talk about Crimson nuclear Tarantino. war. Tarantino. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about Tarantino. Oh. There was another writer who wrote only one scene, but it's the best scene, where they're in the mess hall and they're talking about von Clausewitz. It's Tarantino. No, yeah. Tarantino did not write that scene. Did he not? I mean, no, he, 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 he wrote the stuff about the Silver Surfer. The Silver Surfer. But that was, that was, he definitely did a lot. He also, wrote, he also wrote, tie it in, the Captain Kirk speech, where he goes, um, he goes you ever seen Star Trek? Well, right now, I'm, I'm Captain Kirk, you're Scotty, I need that war power. That's a scene in Crimson Tide. Oh, right, okay. And he okay. calls him up later and goes, Scotty, this is Captain Kirk, where's my radio? You know, if you know who the other secret writer was on Crimson Tide, please Just for him. that one scene, and he and, and I, I, I feel bad for not being able to get this because it's a nice bit of film trivia. He actually um, uh, synopsized the scene to Tony Scott over a phone. He didn't have time to write it. He was somewhere oh, okay. else. Just, just yeah. do this. Yeah, he literally just wrote it verbatim, and it's the best scene in the film. Yeah, interesting. Okay, I think we also want to mention like Carrie Fisher, the dear departed. Oh, yes, who of course. Also was one of the most famous script polishers of the you know in the nineties. We're talking about Leaf Weapon three and yes. various ones. Like you know, there was this extra pass for the jokes. They would get somebody else mm. to just hammer out the, the when people know, actually cared about the, the mechanics script. of the script. <laughs> I did not know that. Carrie Fisher. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw I saw on Twitter there was someone had posted a page 
from The Empire Strikes Back that she had made better. Mm. And it's the scene it's where got her where, notes all over. Yeah, it. it's got her notes on it. So originally the line is like, um, oh, wait. Lando and and the you know Princess Leia is supposed to go. What's Lando? Is that a system? You know what I mean. And she was like Lando system, like like just gonna you know ma- right. making her making her character not sound like a fucking idiot. You know what I mean. Okay. He's like Lando's not a system. He's a man. Lando okay. Calrissian, you know scoundrel. You'd like him. And she's like peppering it in and making it better. See and the, the beginnings of a writer, like a frustrated writer, like Carrie Fisher was in terms of budget, but she wasn't taken seriously by uh, a lot of the, well, Ford and uh, and by Kershner really because there's an amazing transcript in the making of Empire Strikes Back that you can read um, it's the big book by Rinsler um, who you know documents the whole production and they and they replicated the transcript of this conversation between the three of them when they're writing the scene uh, where Han gets put in the carbonite and she's so frustrated that hmm. Ford's advice is being listened to uh, but she's just mm. not getting a look in and they, and they keep on thinking she's acting hysterical um, look, she okay. She may be on drugs, but she has something to say. Like, she wasn't. <laughs> she has something to say, but um, yeah. So, but see, you actually go on Letterbox actually, link because there's a whole uh, watch list of all the films Carrie Fisher had a hand in. Wow. Uh, okay. Yeah, wow. that sounds cool. Um, for anyone listening, Letterbox is a brilliant. Letterbox website. Yeah, it's it's kind of like I guess Facebook for movies, but better. <laughs> um, I would hugely recommend it if you're a film fan. It will make you even yeah. more of a film fan. I would um, say. I have a really quick question to see who can answer this. Uh, why is Mr. Visor Man visorless for this film? Well, uh, there, don't worry, Matt. There is zero explanation. Yes, yes. It's just to do with the fact. Was he just like that, sod it? Uh, well, yeah, LaVarba and who played Visor Man. As <laughs> <laughs> a man. Lobbied for ages not to have to wear the visor because he said it constricted his acting ability. No one could see my eyes, much improved, beautiful eyes. Um, And so basically, in this film, it was removed. And obviously, I mean, you can see his eyes look weird. They're meant to have some kind of, you know, well, he's got the like robotic or whatever like that. Uh, But he isn't actually explained Hmm. in the film. Well, I I like that because just because it's the future doesn't mean there aren't. Still advancements in technology. Yes, very sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do you think this improves his acting ability? Or... Uh, tenfold. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have no idea. He is now willing to upgrade him from Visor Man <laughs> to a fully fledged character. I, I, I think it was just a kind of that to have a TV show prop that looked a bit cheap and didn't quite look great on the big screen. I'm, Maybe. I'm, I think watching Generations recently, that prop you can see through it. Like actually, you know, it's sort of it's not a block thing. You can sort of see the, the grill. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In it, mm-hmm. so you basically give away the fact that he just looks through it like, like hipster <laughs> plastic glasses. You I get. noticed that generations <laughs> that you could just kind of like, yeah, Kanye glasses. <laughs> but it, I like that it does kind of connect him a bit more to James Cromwell's character because they are, you know, they're meant to be this is mm. human race, this is where this all starts. We're about to meet aliens are not going to appear to yeah. they, they weren't travelling to the noughties so no. you, would, you would look out of place um, you were talking about the Tommy gun scene Matt and that is undoubtedly one I really like the concept of a room that can make a hollow novel a thing like it's this kind of mm. new branch of interactive VR storytelling of the future and, and I, at first I was like oh my god you know what's real here but then he says I made the I hacked it and made the bullets real so I was like okay because yeah. at first I was like that always just happens in the show by yeah. accident yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly, exactly. I, think oh, I left the yeah. switch off no it is a very odd idea isn't it yeah. it's odd why I think that's been mocked by plenty of people yeah. the idea that why can you turn off the safe why can this even become real why is that it was a, I, I think the implication is if you're in the holodeck you want to be able to touch stuff uh, okay. and, and if you can touch stuff 
stuff can wink, can wink. can can yeah. uh, uh, move towards you at a fast pace <laughs> while still being solid and hurt you in a way. Right. How okay. many like episodes do you deal with like people's sexual deviancy on? <laughs> I'm glad you asked because <laughs> there is a classic episode. I've been I've been rewatching Voyager recently just because I only really watched them through once, and and uh, there have been some gems that I found. One of them is an episode which is all about Janeway having a holographic boyfriend on the holodeck. Yeah. He's Irish. He comes from like the 18th century or something yeah. and he's from this small Irish town and there's a wonderful this is, this is a bit of a comedy moment for Trek where she she changes a couple of things about him in the holodeck like give him slightly less facial hair a uh, little bit taller and, and delete the wife you know <laughs> so so. but then there's a whole conversation between her and the doctor later which is like an actual drama scene it takes place in a corridor so it's the captain and the doctor st- basically stalking a, a corridor having a psychiatric session where she's talking about the guilt of the fact that she's essentially fucking this guy on the holodeck and apparently that in the so 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 in a way it's a conversation about the vibrator you know essentially mm-hmm. it's about the fact that she and the doctor says no you're the captain you can't have an affair with someone under your command we're out in the delta quadrant you can't just you know uh you know have an affair with an alien that we're passing by we're on the way home it's completely no, yeah she well, you know, <laughs> yeah she no she's engaged i oh, think okay. uh, people and he got married and he got married mm. Uh, for people who don't know, um, we should say that Voyager, the idea is they're off in the wilderness years yes. from anyone else. Stranded, yeah, uh, yeah. Like, so they, she couldn't just hop off world, like, you say, yes, go exactly. home. Yeah, exactly, husband, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, and, her, and her, you know, her love moved on without her while she was gone. So, but but I, I like that episode because it does imply that there is, uh, there, there has long been and gone the discussion of whether or not it's ethical to, like, you know, Picard gets a little smooch from from uh, from the 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 girl on dance floor, oh, yeah. yes. who's like, you never have enough time for us dicks, and it's yeah. like, so maybe there is, you know, chapter thirteen and well, he does of the holo novel, which boy uh, yeah. doesn't he goes like this, this really is at the time. Clearly, <laughs> clearly he has he has made time before. <laughs> I thought it was a much better use of the holo stuff than the just random pirate ship stuff in Generation. Yeah. If this yeah. was a yeah. clever way of dealing yeah. with the threat, and, and a the, plot point. yeah, yeah. Also, and I do kind of miss that yeah. he doesn't run out still in that dinner jacket, like. <laughs> the way they kept on the other stuff and, and it's, it's not yeah. even that they're on the run from the Borg either he like he deliberately traps two Borgs so that he can kill them and get the transponder yeah. I think that was yeah. makes the scene work if it had just been mowing them down and walking on it wouldn't have yeah. worked for me the fact they finished the scene with a plot point mm-hmm. to get the transponder yeah. work out what they're doing next well, yeah. it does it, it makes it feel a bit yeah. less throwaway for me and from yeah. what we've learned yeah. about how the Borg adapt to everything it's like well you haven't adapted to the Tommy gun so a bit of this. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think it's yeah. well, if they did want to do like the romance uh, with Picard and, Rip and Lily, um, mm. I think you know the moment where he looks up and down goes, hmm, something in Saturn. Mm. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, it's not, it just is kind of like he's a bit of a lady. Yeah, she gets that cute callback before the deflector scene where she's yeah. like, watch your caboose dicks, and it's yeah. like, oh, it is. I really yeah. think it's a very nice little um, moment between them. Yeah. What have we got next? Um, <laughs> what, what about the uh, space, so much to talk about. spacewalk <laughs> stuff? Yeah. Spacewalk scene, right? When oh, they go out on the deflector. Oh, now. yes, yes, yes. That's, that's a great awesome. set piece as well. Yeah, it is really Dead. good. Well, yeah. yeah, that's where we get the red shirt there. Yeah, who is that other guy? Picard I doesn't seem bothered about at all. Hawk. Neil yeah, McDonough. but who... He's Neil McDonough. Neil McDonough. Neil McDonough. Yeah. Yeah. What else? What's he famous for? Oh, he's just prolific. Yeah, he's one of those guys. A nice report. Like... Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, Picard doesn't seem that bothered when he dies. He kind of just looks up, is like, 
Oh, oh well. All right, back to this. <laughs> but I guess that's just how you he, know. He how wasn't, in, he wasn't in season seven. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Worf gets his assimilate this line, yeah, yeah. Um, which the actor seems embarrassed to be saying. Assimilate this. <laughs> like, he, he doesn't say it with the gusto that one would usually say that in that that line. Can't, to be fair, to, yeah. to sell that line, you have to be saying like assimilate this motherfucker. Like, yeah, like <laughs> to, be, to, to be fair, yeah, Michael Dawn does play that quite a lot in his character. That he's he's a little bit for a Klingon, he's a bit of a dork. A bit dull because because he's a Klingon who's joined the Federation. He's trying really hard to not Sell be Klingony. Yeah. yeah, that's the whole thing. Is so he's actually funny, quite yeah. he's actually quite a, a doofus sometimes. Yeah. It would have been funny yeah. then if there hadn't been this chance to re- let out that repression and be like yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and then be like oh sorry, straightening up this tie and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that sequence because it's like it's a good sci-fi scene for any film. Mm. Yeah. Like for oh, any yeah. film, I remember in the cinema being like what? Like I'd never seen anything. That like massive that. shot which zooms right in, and you can finally yeah. see them and they're tiny. It's Great, and that they're on the under that they're, they're, they're upside down. I think that was the first yeah. time I thought about space not being like up, yeah. down, left, right. But it's almost like you know, d- don't look at the stars, it reminds you of watching gravity in the cinema, mm. kind of like uh, you're kind of getting that kind of uh, inertia. Mm. Um, you know, it would y- if they'd been going faster, I mean, God, can you imagine that would have been a bit? But I like the score to that sequence as well, like mm. uh, it just sort of very kind of builds it up, builds yeah. it up. Yeah. I mean, the special yeah. effects in this film, like absolutely insane for me mm. in terms of I genuinely apart it's from a, the occasional few little pieces it, they completely stand me, up the only, I think the only dodgy effect in it for me is the gas in the uh, mm. yes, yeah. yes, yes which yes. is just like yeah. it's something they use on the show I think it's the same programme they'll probably use <laughs> every time there's a loop leak they load up the gas. Just, it's just particle systems yeah. although, yeah. although uh, interesting in the uh, in the boring credit sequence mm. uh, I saw John Knoll's name uh, now legendary yeah. ILM and, uh, well this is ILM and he is responsible for Rogue One it was his idea oh okay he basically what's me the shot of the ball queen being put into her body that, that looked great yeah. that was really seamless all in the one shot when she yeah. then moved it's forward it's amazing well, just the opening the, the cube attack with all the yeah. ships it just looks insane it's the beauty mm. part of that model they built for the Enterprise because they built a good sized one for the cinema like right. that's the mm. thing and you, every time it goes past camera the lighting on it is brilliant yeah. and then the other ships are kind of supplemented by CGI ships which you know they took the time over them they're only going to use the CGI ships in the background mm. you wouldn't be able to tell what's model what's not it's the perfect blend of old and new tech Mm. Well, also they saved yeah. so much of it for the show, like mm. like because they did because they didn't like how the Borg looked in Next Gen, mm. like all the time they show up in Voyager, they're reusing sets and yeah. props and ships. One of the funny funny trivia I I, I quite got a kick out of this. Uh, one of the ships in the background of the, the Battle of Sector 001, which is the opening battle, mm-hmm. um, is um, it, well, this particular class Federation ship was designed for the film, and they you know it's a CGI ship, so they was, you know, they had files, and then. Deep Space Nine requested all the model, all those computer files, so they could just use them and pop it in the background. So I think mm. they've actually lost one, so we deleted one of the ships, and it's never mm. been seen since. <laughs> like, it got corrupted. It's just like to think they could lose an entire. Yeah. Uh, you know, an Enterprise ship, <laughs> style ship, Ooh. just because they, somebody didn't put it on the computer. Oh, right? it's in the recycle bin. Yeah. Interesting, yeah. Inter- interesting little factoid. Um, uh, the one of the ships in the opening battle sequence is the Bozeman, which is a ship ca- 
captain by uh, Frasier himself, yeah. Kelsey Grammer, uh, from an episode of of the Next Generation. Oh, where he's in he Next was, Generation, is it? No, yeah. he's in one episode. He's in the end of one episode. He's stuck in a time loop, and he's wearing old Kirk uniform, like from uh, from yeah. Undiscovered Country. Yeah, and and it's in, and the Fed, the um, Enterprise gets stuck it's in a, a loop. It's a Groundhog Day episode. Yeah, it's a Groundhog Day episode, and, and they find this ship called the Bozeman that's been lost for like fifty years. This is Next Generation. The Next Generation, and and the, they they go on screen, and it's Kelsey Grammer captaining a fucking Man, ship. I've got to track this episode. And I believe, I believe that there's a line in the in the film mm. where they say the Bozeman, the yeah. Bozeman reports in and it sounds like Kelsey Grant I don't know if it is him but I think yeah, it definitely think but I like the idea that the captain of the Bozeman Carried kept on. on going yeah, yeah exactly like, now I've got to, you know, I've just got a bit of learning to catch yeah, up yeah, yeah, exactly. to and, and his ship though old is still taking names on the front line like oh, I, I want to see that show man see shared universe man yeah, yeah it's like, well that's the thing like you said this is definitely feels like the most shared universe film so far with the fact that it feels much more like TNG um, Deep Space Nine Voyager feel like they're all even though they might not be they feel much more like they're all taking place at the same time like they can interact with each other mm, far mm, more mm, mm, mm. Um, so everything seems to be crossing over and coming together in mm. some big culmination here <laughs> uh, in this kind of you know really surprisingly dark psychodrama that seems to be playing out uh, in this film of you know questioning the nature of revenge throughout and stuff like that which is really you know like deep heady issues which I can't see them doing on the TV show in the same way mm. same level of intensity they've, they've done some intense things on the show but I think you're right in that it's like if you've got Patrick Stewart yes. who's no yeah. slouch yeah I mean Shakespearean That's, actor I mean here, you know are we going to talk about the Ahab scene yes that yeah, is yeah, that yeah, is, yeah, is it pure is time to talk about the Ahab scene yeah. this would no 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 <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, his, his before acting performance is so, so good. I mean, mm. if you ever felt like Sir Patrick Stewart was perhaps coasting mm. when he was in the original TNG TV series, um, here he is completely using his full skill set mm. as being this theatrical powerhouse. Also, yeah. if Frakes is using two takes, that's yeah. a fucking performance, uh, my friend. That is yeah. nailed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. completely. The light must be drawn here, oh. this far, no farther, <laughs> and I will make them. For what they've done, and they, they does that great line where he goes like, uh, he does "quotes." Because of course, I've been listening to you guys on the podcast. I know that there's like a strong tradition of literary, literary quotes in Trek films, mm-hmm. and so you know, had his chest been a cannon, it because it had been used in Rafikai. It's like, can we just dip back and back well again? Well, you can, and it's yeah, exactly. no, but wasn't the same line. No, uh, had, had, had his chest been a cannon, he would have shot his pu- his heart upon it. Yeah. It's a fucking great line. Mm. Oh, nailed it, it. it actually is slightly changed for this film from the book. Is it? Yeah, I think it's some. It, it's not canon, but it sounds better. It's <laughs> a different Melville. Ultimate Melville. He's paraphrasing. Yeah. yeah. He's in, he's having a bad day. Yeah. Well, Lily can't pick him up in it because she hasn't even read it. So yeah, she hasn't even yeah, read yeah. it. Again, like really lovely little moments. Like you broke your little ships. Like yeah. you're just well, he destroyed the Enterprise D again. Like well, yeah. <laughs> 
talking they about. They do look a bit cheap, though, those gold models. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, <laughs> yeah, that's one is smashing. Uh, talk about Cromwell uh, from a Cromwell's character. Um, there's a lot of interesting stuff to do with him. Number one, the fact that uh, we've often talked about famous faces who were going to turn up in Star Trek films and mm. then didn't. Mm. Um, this is another case of that where originally they went to Tom Hanks. Ooh, to he would have been good. Uh, apparently, who is a fan of Star yep. Trek, apparently. Um, and could only not do it because he was busy directing his directorial debut of That Thing You, you Do. Uh, so couldn't appear in it. And so he already played Jim Lovell the year before as well, hadn't he? So yeah. In Apollo 13. So only oh, yeah. so close to But if I could imagine maybe. someone ushering a new era of hope for humanity, oh, yeah. I, think okay. yeah. I think he would have been Hanks. great. Uh, but Cromwell is very good in the role, I think. And yeah, he has some nice moments. Uh, lots of kind of self referential stuff yeah. because mm. he actually says Star Trek yeah. Yeah. Uh, what is this some kind of suicide squad <laughs> <laughs> um, and he also says engage as well and there's a nice little look yeah. to Frakes and one of uh, my favourite moments I think is that like, yeah. it's, again it's that cheesiness but it just works for this well yeah because yeah. they're kind of going like oh that nice that kind of reverence they hold Picard in almost you feel it is in the sense of oh yeah this guy's like this guy and it's really cool <laughs> yeah. well like, there's that bit where he's talking about like he wants to retire onto some island with like Nate ladies on it and Riker just does a little smile and I'm like yeah Riker knows what he's talking about because <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, Riker's right, yeah. the show right is it no I don't think is it not oh, oh, oh actually it could be that like when they meet him in the original series he's trapped on a on a place with a with a, a woman yeah because Riker think. doesn't Riker no. actually do this no Riker no no, no it's just that Riker's always up to, up to some he's stuff he's not an episode yeah. of TNG where they turn up a plan and Riker's already there and he's been fucking loads of women <laughs> is, it, is this like a porno parody no, you're thinking of seriously you're thinking of Liam, 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 every, every time you wake up in the middle of the night just write notes please I'm <laughs> <Yeah. write notes. laughs> oh, like oh you're right to break to be like look I found this lost script in TNT I think you'll want to do it <laughs> and we also get magic carpet ride on the soundtrack uh. which is, which is awesome. brilliant uh, unfortunately they use Ubi Doobie uh, which is I, I think that's a bit of a misstep for the other jukebox you preferred the, oh, you, right, you preferred yes, the yes. opera that uh, Picard was listening to in his, that was all that room. scene really you know it's kind of strange I that love bit. that shot where, where yeah. like Riker shows up in the shadow of the mirror it's like probably yeah, the best shot very the nice very yeah. nice but that is you know at the beginning it all feels so dark and mm. intense and doomy and gloomy straight away but, but, but also if you're a fan of the show that is like a, a companion piece to the last shot of uh, the best of both worlds where he's looking oh, out the window oh, at space now. and okay. he's like he's like I'm fine and yeah. they leave and he's like I'm not fine Bizet isn't it Bizet Belios interesting and um, yeah one thing I was going to mention was the fact that when they were originally uh, writing the film they had a, as usual with these big movies they have a couple of other versions of the script before they settle on what they're going to do and they were always down with the kind of time Time travel element and the Borg element they kind of always wanted those two things but uh, they're obviously deciding they had the same film Voyage Home where they decide on what, uh, what time they could go to and stuff like that and at one point this was called Star Trek Renaissance mm. and they were going to the 15th century and they were all going to be in tights doing kind of swashbuckling type <laughs> kind of like stuff going on and Data was apparently going to be mates with Leonardo da Vinci in that case they used that entire plot in Voyager oh okay yeah. I mean that sounds like a completely different kind yeah, of they cast, oh, a, they cast a, uh, John yeah. Rhys Davis as, um, uh, and he's a holodeck character oh okay 
okay, that sounds fun. I mean, he did. That sounds like a fun idea, but nothing already, like this movie. They've already done like um, in the show. They will take off Robin Hood as well, where they were in tights. And there's yes. another Q-centric episode where he sends them to, like, uh, Sherwood Forest and oh the cars in tights and you have Geordie playing the lute and the wolf just comes over and smashes it over his knee because he's like, stop playing. No, 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 no that's, that's the episode where Wolf says, please, sir, I am not a merry man. Yeah. <laughs> Stuart probably so, used to wearing tights, though, from all his Shakespearean acting. Well, did anybody catch the Hamlet reference? Uh, uh, no, I don't think, maybe yeah. not. The way he holds the queen skull. Uh, oh. oh, just before he snaps it. That was a I good little badass spite. Yeah, Terminator powering down. It doesn't end with him snapping his spine. Like, <laughs> that's a little twist on it for that. Very nice. Was that because I did? Did he want to get I reckon that's why he met Stuart Fulton. He's like, I'm just going to hold this Jonathan, thing like Jonathan, this. Jonathan, I have an idea. <laughs> Why don't we have a skull? He wasn't, he wasn't going to hold her lovingly until she was gone. No. <laughs> He's going to break the neck, make sure she never goes back. So we get Data flirting with being a traitor here, but Data is no traitor. Yes. Um, no, well, 0.8 seconds. Yeah. Yes. And, and also, an eternity for it. Brent Spiner is always good at playing evil Data, because he's done it a couple of times in the show where he well, kind he's of... He's got an evil twin. He has an evil though. twin. Yeah. Called Law, but also he even Data. He's really good, like he will make an excellent drone. Like he's really good at that. that yeah, kind of. and he's nice. You kind of believe he might. Well, I think yeah, and he's um, and we introduced the quantum torpedo here, which is like a I don't know kind of an easy thing for them to be able to destroy the sphere very quickly. It's like quantum torpedo is far, and it, it's only <laughs> and it's just like where were these? Why did the other ship? Like he just destroyed it in seconds. But yeah, that's but, very true. But, but data, I mean, because they're blue, data arms quantum torpedoes to take out the phoenix. It's like overkill much. This <laughs> thing has no shields. Like, it's like uh, you could just like drive phases. into them. Yeah, phases. like you could have uh, erased history, but it's like this is more dramatic. I just use the quantum torpedo. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think it all pays off beautifully. Mm. Um, at the end, it all comes together. There's great stuff between um, Picard and Data, I think, at the end there. And, and him and the Queen. Yeah. When I was re-watching it, I'd never got this like subtext before. But the way he acts when he shows up is kind of like, you know, yeah, you're obsessed with me. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, like you know, I used to be in your little collective, and you, you never got over but it. Now you're now you're right. escaped from a cult. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wanted to ask you about that. Um, and she's like, you, "You flatter yourself." Were you wondering if the queen had been in previous episodes? Yeah, when you watch yeah. It? Because I think they make it feel as if she's always been a part of yes. like these. I would have, I would have assumed that she'd always been like the leader. If not from behind the scenes, then on screen. Well, the, 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 the way I see it, or hopefully that's the way that it is, is that whenever you see the Borg, that's her because she is the Borg. Yeah, but they I mean, are the all that her fingernails. They're actually, all extensions of her. When you watch it, if you've never seen any TNG before this, I think mm. as an audience member, you would assume she'd been in all the episodes. Mm. Yeah, the way her like reveal of her top half being lowered down, mm. that to me, that could have been felt like it was a oh shit she's back type thing as if she's been yeah. rebuilt and you've seen yeah. it before but there, there's an episode yeah, there, yeah. there's an episode of Voyager where um, the other actress Susanna Thompson uh, has a really great scene where she talks to a child um, uh, who she might assimilate or no I think she's a child that already was assimilated but the child doesn't realise they've been assimilated and uh, the, the Borg Queen talks about how the body that she's in was once assimilated so whenever you see the Borg Queen 
her physical flesh isn't necessarily the original Borg queen. It's like a queen bee. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So no. even though she, so that's why the Borg are still around, even though she, well, she, she, she going burns up at the end. Yeah. yeah, she can be. It, well, it's a unimatrix thing, isn't it? Yeah, and it's like they kind of work it out like this, basically broadband cables mm. in space to put the Borg to set up. Which is why, why yeah. which is why yeah. they didn't, they kind of didn't need to bring Alice Creed back no, in Voyager. They could have had a, could have had a different her. actress every time. Um, yeah, but you went with the casting the first one. They were trying to go. We can't get Alice, so we're going to go with somebody who looks a bit like yeah, her. Yeah, And you know, the, the Borg Queen has to have a look of what people know. It's the Borg Queen. It's kind of sad and unfortunate. When I was, I, I looked at it on Netflix last night, and uh, the the actress, the other actress, is the ball queen in the first episode of the last season, and yeah. by the end of the season, she's been recast. Oh, oh, that so sucks. And she was really good as well. And you can tell, uh, it's funny. You can tell this is a mid nineties movie as well because it has the classic Demolition Man finale uh, <laughs> of, of yeah. launching yourself up, launching yourself up to avoid getting melted slash frozen. Yeah, <laughs> which is which is which is, which is weird because yeah. we are taught in science class that gas always rises to the top. <laughs> yeah, it's like, stay down there, gas. <laughs> it I'm expands good. to fill the space it's in. It's called convection currents, man. <laughs> yes, the uh, I do feel like that the choice of Ubudu is very Demolition uh, Man. And I thought about yeah. that, you know, when in the future they all love. Uh, like advert tunes because they're so inoffensive uh-huh. like uh, that's what I kind of feel like was coming across here <laughs> yeah that's their whole attitude of them being all fuddy-duddy it's like they're from Demolition Man future yeah <laughs> well this again he doesn't understand the three seashells well at the end is trying to get the Vulcans to dance which is all quite embarrassing going there kind of annoying but did you guys notice that that ending and the way the music comes in and the way it pulls up to yeah. the forest is extremely reminiscent of the end of Final Frontier. Yeah, it is. <gasps> it's pretty much exactly the same. Yeah, which is shame because you don't want to kind of like make music sort of bring back memories of that. Well, <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> like, you are amongst safe company here. Um, I was wondering what the uh, time travel rules are here, if it's if there's any point even trying to work it out. So did they change stuff, or did they just make it so that's what always happened? Is it one of those I think, timeline? No, I think they no. probably, there will be a change in yeah. the timeline. There will be because people future, have been yeah. killed, but you know there will be it, eventually the events happened as they did at the right time, yeah. Yeah. so yeah. things wouldn't have changed badly. I assume for that. Uh, we did talk actually before the podcast. Like, I had a problem with um, the fact that this resource like, can be bombed from orbit um, you know very badly and yet, uh, yet none of the locals decide to go and move somewhere else after they actually just go and repair it but they're thinking like that's just World War 3 what does she well, yeah, exactly. exactly. iron roof back on like, just get on with it get back to drinking yeah, yeah. this is uh, the reality they live in um, but I think it's good to see yeah, there's like the guy gets blown off his bicycle and he's like just gets up and keeps riding <laughs> you know I don't know what the, the Borg's uh, ordinance is but of course they you know obviously don't have any nuclear weapons like to use yeah no. <laughs> no, right you're right well, it's because they want to. They want to use all the technology. Hmm. They they don't destroy. They they use they use yeah, everything. And and, and they also there's another interesting thing about them. They only ever send one cube. Yeah. Like there's there's billions of cubes, but they're that confident. They're just like we'll send one cube and it will it will do the all the job. They're overconfident in every way. Exactly. And they could have gone back in time in their space and travelled back uninhabited all mm. the way to Earth and then done it then. But mm. we just need to be next to it. Mm. to do it <laughs> it's like a plan B we don't really want to change the time because we might not exist I suppose it's like their last gambit mm. to um, you know to defeat mm. the human race it's like right okay well plan B let's go back in time then <laughs> you know? uh, I thought Picard's making so at the end seemed almost self-referential at this yeah. point kind yeah. of like you know it's kind of a catchphrase it almost seems like 
this is the reset, everything's okay now, we've kind of like, you know, sort it out and back to normal, mm. Let, let's well, go. Also, finally emerging from the shadow of Shatner as well. Mm. Yes, yeah, oh, yeah, completely. And the fact of, you know, I think by the end of this film, there is no question that uh, Picard is very much his own man and can be the cinematic captain uh, mm. that we need. In our last episode, we were talking about how in Generations... I feel you do miss Kirk a lot of the time, um, especially when Picard's getting his ass handed to him every five seconds by Malcolm McDowell. Um, you know, he really needs Kirk to come and help him. It's the hair. Whereas, the, the, the hair. They're two old men, but the hair is, is everything this, in a fight. Here, he kind of makes up for any lack of badassery in generations in the bucket load. Um, and yeah, so by the end, I think he's completely. Maybe he realised he was like, I was a bit of a pussy o in generations, so <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna flex. It's like, it's like if you have to go back in time and get Kirk to do your fighting for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. An older man. An old Kirk. Yeah. <laughs> Funny enough, I actually saw. Uh, this film as one of the films I reviewed for my local newspaper, the Daily Echo, back then. <laughs> as a, ten out of ten. As a ten. <laughs> yeah, like every review yeah. um, it, it was it was close. <laughs> it was close. And but uh, unlike Batman and Robin, <laughs> I think this has stood the test of time far better. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Make the Batman and Robin is ten you out of ten. You're yeah. still right, is what you're saying. Yes, exactly. Um, so this. I I think we can all agree this was an assured directorial debut from yep. Jonathan Tutank yep. Frakes. Yep. Um, very stately. Now, he, he did very well, as you say, finally giving Star Trek the budget it first had motion picture with 45 million, which it was incredibly successful for the time, made 146 million at the uh, box office, which was big. Yeah, uh, that's, that's another 20 million on what Generations does, and which had the yeah. benefit of having two sets of fans essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, people who might just have loved seeing Kirk back in action one last time, and the people who are the next gen followers. And just the, yeah, if you get to, for this to be by itself, the next gen crew getting 146 million. Mm-hmm. Completely. And I think that speaks to the fact that, as you say, like Zenith at the time, popularity. I mean, if you've essentially you've got three sets of fans, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager potentially, all kind of grouping together to go and see this. That said, given. this this still isn't like, you know, massively successful. Look at Independence Day, like that's like 700 million. Yeah, but that's made for a lot more, isn't it? No, 75 billion, I think it costs. But that's still, that is a lot more. There's still, they're still like almost double the budget. Yeah, but you, but there's no pre-existing fan base for Independence Day. And Big Will isn't in uh, <laughs> and he didn't write a single for that, although he didn't write a single for Independence Day, did he? No. No, there's no single there's for no that. There's no music video tie-in. There should have been. That would have been amazing. Um, but you know, I, I, welcome to Earth. Very, right. what, what did Fra- that's what I call a close encounter. What, what did Frakes do next? Star Trek Insurrection, yes, he did. <laughs> which we'll be talking about next month. Followed by the Thunderbirds movie. Yes. Now, unfortunately, Frakes didn't really hold his <laughs> great run. His batting uh, average. <laughs> Thunderbirds. I've got to say, I have seen it, and it is one of the worst films I've ever seen in my life. Wow. Um, which is a shame because it is that thing of you watch this movie, and I imagine imagine Frakes doing this dark take on Thunderbirds. <laughs> 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 like, oh, it would have been amazing. <laughs> 
Alan, Alan Tracy, <laughs> Picard, no, um, Stuart plays Alan Tracy. Uh, you know, you <laughs> and he's going absolutely crazy. Is there like a bald guy in front of us? Well, yeah, but, yeah, Kingsley. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah, ben Kingsley, ben Kingsley is, is the in the uh, Frakes film. Oh, yeah. That should have been Picard um, then. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really bad. Now, and they're like, blow up Tracy Island, and he's like, no! No! <laughs> so unfortunately I don't know what Frakes is doing now uh, lots of TV I, I look, he's doing uh, uh, I can't remember what oh, show he's, he's on something I think it's the librarians or something he's done a few episodes of I tell you I was looking at IMDB before this uh-huh. he directs an episode of Powers oh. which is not great <laughs> and, um, he was getting Total Recall 2 off the ground for a long time as well he was really involved in that and eventually mm-hmm. it would be like a TV movie pilot on the Sci-Fi Channel which was apparently awful and then eventually got reworked into the Colin Farrell remake mm. um, but yeah so he almost like had a big another big sci-fi movie before the end of the decade was out but not mm. to be bring him back yeah, yeah but they still need a director for Star Trek 4 don't they yeah well exactly like, like, like cinematically I'd say First Contact on a cinematic level is worthy of a McTiernan on a sheer filmmaking brio and it's stately it's very stately made as well mm. like it has a bit of handheld it has a lot of steady cam but it's also there's the difference between these kind of films and like the JJ verse I think yeah you know it's but it does have something <laughs> right? it's, it's true, cinematic yeah. but it's 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 very considered and it's very steady I remember a, a review of JJ's film uh, from years ago, and it said something that I've oh, I've never forgot, which is that the 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 Enterprise was made to play battleships, not asteroids. And I think that's a really mm. clever way of saying it. it's always a, it's always supposed to be in a nebula, like a submarine movie doing something. It's always very you know it's not meant to be flying in like the Millennium Falcon. Well, this is talk for a future episode. Okay, okay, right, we'll right, get sorry. to the JJ verse. In I'm, I'm getting a couple of months. I'm getting Spock like greedy. Um, sorry. So, shall we do ratings? Yeah. Yeah. Paul? Oh, for me, I would say an eight. An eight? Okay. Yeah. Have you got any final thoughts? Um, or I, I think it's uh, probably well, it's a very strong entry. I think uh, it's uh, certainly having the crew have their own film. Um, yeah, I, I don't have nothing to say on this, actually. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> eight, <laughs> eight out of ten says it all. Steve? Eight out of ten says it Okay, I would say if I was, if I was saying out of all the films ever made, hard eight. Okay. Out of all Star Trek films, hard nine. Okay, interesting. Okay, Matt. Uh, yeah, I really love this one. I mean, as I said, I think it started off for me trying to overcome again this kind of newish crew and everything, but it definitely felt more like its own new fit. Like it felt like a cinematic movie more than yeah. any others. Like no more recycled Klingon chip footage no. blowing up. <laughs> no re- um, no reshot for the first time in the series. For the first time. Wow. Did they always do that? Even, even, for, what, even, oh my for, God. even for flashbacks. Yeah, I mean, it felt like more everything. More common this, power ages than ever. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this has all been made for this, which is good. And, uh, you know, I, I do still kind of miss the old crew and the camaraderie, but I felt this film especially got me clued in to their kind of special chemistry so Picard and Worf their, their stuff and Picard and Data as well I got a touch of that from Generations but a bit more and qu- qu- um, question question. Yeah. does it make you want to go back and rediscover those relationships in the show I don't know I think if I dipped in I'd have a bit more of an idea of where they were coming from or what I wanted to see but 
Yeah, maybe not the whole thing. Maybe <laughs> we'll, we'll get back onto that. Yeah, um, still learning yeah. from the movies. But I thought I thought the Borg were the best villains we've had since like Khan. Basically, they're very they're very kind of Cyberman esque, very kind of scary, very threatening. Um, and yeah, just the whole idea of almost like a siege on their own ship and making it die hard in space. Basically, uh, it really tied into everyone's strengths and the Earth stuff had some really good ideas and it was a great balance in terms of pacing and tone and stuff um, so I'm same as Paul 8.0 out of 10 yeah. okay well when I reviewed this for the Daily Echo back in 1996 um, or may have been oh no actually it was 1996 because I think it actually got released in the UK like January 97 but I saw it early because press screening press screening <laughs> Um, and uh, yeah, I gave it um, nine out of ten at the time. You and, Brad, and, and who you are you to argue and with I, you? And I think I was wrong. I think that I underrated. Uh, I think this is by far the best Star Trek film so far in the series up until this point you know um, we've still got more to come Uh, you know I think it's incredibly cinematic I think every penny is up on that screen I think the acting is like the best it's ever been on a Star Trek film I think it kind of delves into psychological um, drama to a more intense degree than we've ever seen before I think the action's better I think it's exhilarating incredibly exciting I give it a 9 um, I just think it's an absolutely stunning oh it's a home run in the <laughs> yeah I will just say you know I, um, probably because I haven't mentioned anything about this one before is that I have a great like um, affinity for this film it was really at the point where I was just coming off the, probably the, the most into Star Trek I've ever been in my life and have this film come along and see and be able to see it I actually had to get rent it uh, was the first time I saw it but I've just been blown away by it I've seen some of the teasers on the Voyager tapes mm-hmm. and just I, I actually wore out that section of the tape watching <laughs> the teaser for this film and getting so excited about the Borg film and it did not disappoint at all I thought it was the first time I could actually hold my head high at school and walk down the corner and say I love <laughs> Star Trek, and that's where it all went. Right. And you had to take the next day off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So bad. <laughs> <laughs> I just skipped down the, the corridor, and I mean, what the thing I wore out your tapes. Is, you know, the film I wore out a couple of tapes back yeah. in the day. The film came out Star Trek. Actually, just to mention that the teaser. I mean, trailer watch for this. Probably the worst trailers actually yet. I, mean, I can't believe I wore out the tape. Um. You can even see the tracking at the bottom. Yeah, talking about like reused footage. This shoot has no effect shots completed at the point they made the teaser. So all it is is recycled footage from Voyager, uh, best of both worlds, and various other things. I think there's a bit of like um, there's even a shot of two Klingon ships falling into the sun from Redemption, which has got their Klingons are nowhere near this film. But just like just because it's the only effects they get their hands on, they put them cobble it together. Uh, There's a film coming. That's all you need to know. Does this film such disservice? Well, one thing I've got to say is, out of, you know, I was seeing the Star Trek films in the cinema from Undiscovered Country, and my most vivid memories of the earlier films are totally from this movie, like on the big screen, that opening battle sequence. I remember it blowing my mind Mm. when I was, uh, I would have been 11 years old uh, when I saw it in the cinema, and, you know, it sticks with me. It held up Mm. more so. Mm. Yeah, incredible. Completely agree. 
Fantastic. So next time out, we see John and Freaks back in the director's chair. Yeah, so you find him straight back. Is, is, is this the first time you guys have um, all agreed pretty much wholeheartedly on a... Well, I wouldn't say. Well, also, it's pretty I close. Say, Me and Will said exactly eight the same nines. Eights and nines. Uh, I wouldn't say we are agreeing completely because I mean, I, I'd say that you know, I obviously think this is better than those yeah. uh, guys. And I think, I don't know. I think often it's kind of two of us agree quite a lot, and then one of us is slightly out with mm. the others. I would mm. say, mm. Um, like Final Frontier, Matt. And I surprisingly liked it a lot. Mm. And Paul kind of kept his furlough kind of rating like lower. Um, I think Search of Spock, we, Paul and I yeah, defended, I Matt didn't like. Did. But Matt, like, his comments on that really made me look at it again, actually. So, at what, Spock? Yeah, I, yeah. Do, I do feel like, you know, you, you made me look at it a bit more objectively. Good. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, that's so, yeah, I think, I think there's always, like, a difference, but that's what makes it interesting. As This is definitely, says, uh, definitely a high average though like oh, oh yeah no, definitely yeah no we'll definitely be up there um, but as uh, Paul says next month Star Trek Insurrection uh, Jonathan Frake second bite at the apple um, can, can we see the high budget like uh, replicated next time we'll see yeah well yeah can can Frakes do it again well, you know that's the thing Paramount surely this massive hit will uh, you know, roll out the red carpet for Star Trek after this <laughs> I, I would um, have thought so yeah I, I have no doubt Star Trek Insurrection you're, you're I, teasing me this is like, this is I, Stay tuned. I have no Stay idea. tuned to, to find out if they choose to shoot in a location that isn't California. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm looking. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, we'll be joined by another guest star. Um, we will save revealing who he is for the next episode. Not because he's anyone special or famous. Just, <laughs> just, 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 just he would be so happy just, to hear that. Just in, ca- just in case he can't make it on. He's, he's a norm like us. <laughs> So we should see. But he, he will be great. Uh, <laughs> you don't want to dangle him in front of people and then take him away. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. His scheduling might not allow. Um, yeah. You never know. He's a, he's a busy man these days. Uh, you know, this, doing this podcast could be bad for business. <laughs> so we shall see. Um, but I think that's uh, basically everything, isn't it, on First Contact? I think we've covered it pretty thoroughly. Mm. Um, so I think all that's left is to say goodbye. Yeah, uh, thank you, Steve. Oh, Steve. Oh, yeah. oh, oh uh, <laughs> I am. A, I am a comedian. I've been doing comedy for a while now. Um, and uh, I guess my name's Stephen Trumbull. If you follow me on uh, Twitter, which is just at Stephen Trumbull, um, come to or, tonight's show. Yeah, which is in the past. Or, 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 yeah, yeah. Come to tonight's show. You can start a. Uh, <laughs> do you announce? Uh, you can start a temporal gigs? wake and go and see it. Um, do you announce all your? Gigs I do. I announce all my gigs on Twitter. So, so if you uh, if you uh, are in London or Brighton, that, that area, I'm usually doing a show two or three times a week or so, New York uh, if you want to pop over there or New York yeah, if you yeah, want to yeah. pop over there in the next two weeks in the past yeah exactly <laughs> the past. Yeah, but I mean you will be you're constantly doing shows these yeah, days yeah, it seems exactly. like every night so certainly if you want to see Steve's comedy stylings I think it's pretty easy to get down yeah. but thank um, you so but thank you so much for having me on because I absolutely love this podcast yeah, and also also, also, also I also, I, also I, I'm, I'm not entirely sure that I haven't become a comedian just so 
I can be invited on podcasts. Because <laughs> I fucking love it. And the chicken and the egg situation. Exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> and have we, have we yet mentioned that this is the same Stephen Trumbull who did our artwork? Have we mentioned that? I don't think we have. We uh, mentioned if it when we've ever we looked um, our podcast artwork, which presumably, if you're listening to this, you have, um, it, it is drawn by Stephen here, who's multi talented. Yeah, it's, the best, it's the best I've ever looked. <laughs> no, yeah. not, yeah. um, I'm very happy with my Folks, can I just say it took so myself. long to get you guys right it's actually real like you guys have oddly shaped heads <laughs> I've there was a lot of adjustments on, you know. it wasn't a first time sketch it was there was a lot of adjustments but you guys I, I'm, I'm happy with it I think yeah, you guys I think okay. I, I'm still happy with it too very um, much he so. looks fantastic because you never see him in, in reality I'm very happy to meet him today he's so small compared this to what I thought he was I thought he was like a dog Scott <laughs> who swims in his tank and watches us uh, perform. Uh, I also think he needs him. to have a spaceship named after him. I think mm. it sounds like a spaceship. The, the, there's a ship approaching from warp. It's the axolotl. Like it just sounds like a ship. <laughs> uh, as for us, um, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter. Instagram, basically all of social media. Bebo, MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> we are not available. LinkedIn, no. Uh, but you can follow us uh, on all of those things or like us. Um, you know, please do. Uh, we've got lots of news and kind of additional content about the show on there. Uh, we often post links up of things we've talked about in the show. Uh, so, so you can. If you want to know the name of the tequila? This is where you'll find. Yes, it. <laughs> exactly that. Yeah, all our kind of booze. <laughs> the show, to get us through it is uh, posted on there um, you can also download the podcast from iTunes or Podbean or anywhere where podcasts can be downloaded please subscribe if you're enjoying the show so you never miss an episode we also occasionally do uh, bonus spotlight supplemental episodes uh, that kind of drop sometimes in the middle of the month as a little surprise so if you subscribe you make sure you get them and you know just tell your friends if you you're listening to the show and you know someone who either likes Star Trek or you think you know what that person hasn't got enough Star Trek in their life they need introduce more introduce them to Spotlight and that is the way that's to get just the right amount we are the way in uh, gateway you drugs us, yeah, yeah you can think of this as a Star Trek kind of film club where you can yeah. watch along and of course if you want to speak to us in more than 140 characters you can email at spotlightpod at gmail.com yeah, it's go. lovely having you all I've been Paul Wilson and Matt Brothers I've been Stephen Trumbull and I've been Liam Dempsey see you next month <laughs>